and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and the stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. Because I mentioned briefly in a previous episode that I am building a theory that lost socks and lost broken holiday lights hang out together, this was in the episode on holiday lights, it seems only fitting that this episode should be on the other half of the lost stuff brigade, socks. In our family, some of us love funky socks. I have a pair of socks with pretzels on them, foxes, pineapples, BT21 characters, looking at you, Tata and Shooky, mustaches, and of course, a variety of very fluffy socks, which are the best. Way back when, I used to have a pair of toe socks. They were red and green and sparkly, and they had actual foam ornaments glued onto the toes for Christmas, which was not comfortable in um, shoes, nor were they practical or matching for anything worn for piano recitals during the holiday season, which is, I think, when I usually chose to wear them. But they were fun and an eyesore. Right now, my sister probably has the funkiest socks in the family. Supporting her love of art and art history, her socks include homages to the girl with the pearl earring, the Mona Lisa, and more. Most of this is thanks to my mother, who feeds our love for funky socks. So let's take a moment to talk about the covering that keeps our feet warm and protected the sock. While socks keep our feet warm, they actually also perform another very important job. They absorb sweat. Turns out that our feet produce rather a lot of sweat uh, throughout the day, which makes sense if we think about how often we stand on, run, or walk on these things through the day. While wool socks, darker, warmer material socks keep our feet warm, thinner and lighter colored socks often are a helpful way of keeping our feet cool as well as they wick the sweat away or reflect light away. The word sock has ancient Greek and Latin roots, the word itself meaning light slipper in English, and light or low-heeled shoe in Latin. This is in reference to the shoes that were worn by Roman comedic actors. Socks at one point anciently were actually made of leather or matted animal hair. Because socks were so time-consuming to make, they were originally worn only by the wealthy, while the rest of the population used foot wraps. In fact, foot wraps were still used by Eastern European armies up until the 21st century. The Finnish army also used foot wraps until the 1990s. The earliest known pair of socks that we still have are on display at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, England. They were made sometime between 300 and 500 AD. They are red and were fashioned using a technique called binding, which predates knitting and crocheting. From the 8th century BCE to the 2nd century AD, between the Greeks and the Romans, socks had a few names and were made of a few different materials, including piloi, which was made from animal hair, udons, which by this point were sewn together pieces of cloth used by the Romans, and later putis, which by the 2nd century AD were a type of sock worn by holy people throughout Europe. These socks represented purity. Socks have also changed length over the years. Initially, socks in the Middle Ages were worn largely by men. As breeches became shorter, these socks would extend all the way up the leg up to the waist. While these socks became more like tights, quite frankly, aptly named because they were tight enough to show the muscles of the leg, this style lasted until the 16th or 17th century. 
in Europe in the 14th century, people began to decorate socks more, and some changes in length came about, with some reaching only to just below the knee, while others were attached to a person's belt or jacket. In the 14th century, we started to see different colored stripes on socks for each leg as people began to play more and more with color, which I think is kind of adorable. It's like we got socks and then we figured out how to make them different and colorful, and then people just went crazy. They wore different colored socks, they had stripes, like they would mix and match, and it was just part of the fashion of the day and very impressive to have purple and red socks, and I just think it's like quite endearing that we got so attached to socks and just went like, whoa! We can decorate them. <laughs> I mean, nobody had foam ornaments, but you know, we got close. <laughs> Around this time, some socks had leather stitched to the bottom of them to reinforce the bottoms or allow the socks to be worn just as shoes completely. The Japanese split sock called tabi originally started out as its own shoe or footwear. The tabi was a leather shoe made from one single animal hide, which is where it got its name. However, as footwear evolved, and with the introduction of the thong of the Waraji style of straw sandal, the tabi became split-toed, and were worn as a type of reinforced sock dating back to the Heian period, around the 15th century. The ancient Egyptian style of sock was actually fairly similar to the tabi, in that it had one compartment for the big toe and a second compartment for the rest of the toes, kind of like mittens for the feet. The main difference was that the Egyptian style was more form-fitted and didn't use a means of fastening the sock to keep it on. In China, in the Qin Dynasty, between 265 and 420 AD, socks that were made of cotton and with filo were worn by the nobles, while the poor wore socks made of leather. We're seeing a pattern here all across the world, as it turns out, in differences between the poor and the rich in their footwear. Later, in the Huan Dynasty, 1271 to 1368 AD, socks were made using silk, and later, once cotton became a more widely used crop, cotton was used. In the Ming Dynasty, between 1368 and 1644, during crowning ceremonies, the emperor and princes wore either red or white socks. During the Ming Dynasty, socks were made of silk, velvet, felt, satin, wool, and cloth including cotton. Eventually, cashmere and dry cashmere also came into use among both the noble and the common folk. There were lighter socks called summer socks for wear in hotter weather, using linen and other breathable fabrics, while socks for winter included leather, cotton, and wool materials, among others. There were also sometimes specific rules about which socks matched. For example, fish white socks were paired with green while purple socks were paired with rose-purple socks, and cyan socks with white socks. Machine-knitted socks came about in the 16th century, and both machine and hand-knitted socks were the popular mode du jour until the 1800s when machine-knit socks began to take over. In 16th century Europe, Italian and Spanish stockings were all the rage, with their advancements in machinery making for very fine stockings. Red, orange, and purple stockings were the ones with the most prestige. During this time, as the popularity of knit socks spread, women began to knit their own socks at home, which also allowed for them to enjoy some financial freedom. Reportedly, women enjoyed the knitting and financial freedom so much that they'd often knit through Sunday services and not attend. One such woman to do so was either the wife of William Lee or a woman he was courting at the time. The sources vary. William Lee was a theology student at the time. Because the woman he was courting was so enamored of knitting, this led to his researching machinery for knitting and creating his own, 
the world's first hand-knitting machine in 1589. The machine was used to knit wool pants and later was reworked to knit stockings. Lee's reworked device made it possible to knit socks six times faster than by hand. The machine was so important that people who tried to steal it, largely like from other countries, were sentenced to death. Knitting machines themselves could be their own topic, as there have been many different machines for weaving over human history, from knitting machines to looms to the Jacquardian loom, which was used to create complex patterns like tapestries, to our modern-day devices. The first knitting school in the United States opened in 1588 in New York City. President Lincoln opened more knitting courses in schools across the country to help provide employment opportunity and instruction for poorer citizens. In 1938, socks began to be made using nylon. Prior to this time, socks were usually made using silk, wool, and cotton. The district of Datang in Tsuchi City in Zhejiang, China, is known as Sock City. They produce 8 billion pairs of socks each year. That is one-third of the world's population. In 2011, they produced enough socks for two pairs of socks for each person on the planet. These days, we have various socks that perform various tasks, from toe socks, which are just clearly awesome, to ankle socks, to knee-high socks. We have high-performance socks for athletes, knee-high socks for school uniforms, and athletes again, crew socks, which came about in 1948, liner socks to prevent blisters, wool socks to keep us warm, formal socks for work, special events, church, and other formal activities, special compression socks that are used by athletes, um, I'm really only familiar with those for runs, long runs, like marathons and more. And there are many more functions of socks. At this time of year, there is also the Christmas stocking that comes to mind. The Christmas stocking is a tradition in which children hang stockings, or large socks, by the fireplace, or other decorative spaces, sometimes including by a child's bed. And they wait for Santa Claus to come and fill up the stockings with fruit or toys at Christmas Eve. Other traditions have St. Nicholas visiting earlier in December and leaving these gifts in shoes that have been left out rather than stockings. Most of the history surrounding the Christmas stocking is more steeped in legend than history, per se. One such story revolves around St. Nicholas and his desire to help a small family. The family was made up of a father and his three daughters who were struggling. St. Nicholas wanted to help, but he knew that the father would not accept help directly. So instead, St. Nicholas got creative. He tossed three bags of gold into their home one night, and one of the bags landed in a stocking that was hung by the fireplace to dry. Other versions explain that St. Nicholas meant to throw the gold into the stockings, which were drying by the fireplace, and he just had fantastic aim. Some stories say that rather than bags of gold, St. Nick threw three golden balls, which later came to be represented by the gifts of oranges or clementines in stockings. Whether it was happy accident or really excellent aim, the story of St. Nicholas's generosity to the small family helped start the tradition of hanging stockings by the fire around Christmas time. Another story involves Norse mythology. According to Phyllis Seifger, the tradition originated with the story of Odin. Odin would fly by with his flying horse, Sleipnir, and children would leave out carrots or hay or sugar in their boots near the chimney for the horse to eat. Odin would reward the children's kindness with gifts. This practice was later adopted and repackaged into Christian tradition, according to Seifger, although there's no written evidence that this repackaging happened. Either way, however, both make for good stories. So, whether you are using them to bundle up for your next snowy adventure, to catch golden treasures, to dance the night away with your crazy mismatched socks, or to slip and slide around your kitchen, 
Socks are there for you. Unless they're hanging out with all of our lost holiday lights. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day and a marvelous rest of your year. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.